This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. This is Baseball Outside the Box with Peter Caliendo. Innovative thoughts from baseball's best coaching minds from around the world. Brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Now your host, former USA Baseball National Team coach, Peter Caliendo. Hey, welcome folks, Pete Caliendo, Baseball Outside the Box. Welcome in the U.S. and around the world. Um, we are thrilled that you can join us today for the next episode of Baseball Outside the Box. We got a great one. We had one yesterday. Check it out with Pete Wilkinson. Great show talking about the state of the game at the youth level in the U.S. There's some great things going on, but there's also some things we need to make changes on. So again, thanks for joining us in the U.S. and around the world. Don't forget, do us a favor, keep spreading the word on social media, get the show out, really helps us out. If you're on Facebook Live, we're on several, but we're actually checking out Facebook Live. If you're on Facebook Live, do us a favor. If you got any questions for our guest today, go ahead and type it in the comments section where we will try to get to that. Uh, again, you're listening to Baseball Outside the Box with your host, Pete Caliendo. A couple other announcements. Don't forget Caliendo Sports International heading to Aruba in Italy, softball and baseball, 14 to 7 year olds, 17 year olds. We're looking for a couple more players. So if you're interested, Caliendo Sports International and Go, you know, go ahead and email me, caliendo19 at gmail.com. All right, let's not waste any time. We can get to announcements later on. Also, let me introduce our guest today. Listen, man, uh, former Major League player, Lou Vickery. He has 16 books he has published. His 16th is winning the head game, heated elite athlete status. He co-authored this with Hall of Fame basketball coach, Sonny Smith. It's on Amazon. It's also on louvickerybooks.com. We'll put all that in the show notes. He is a former major league player. Listen to this one. He signed at 16 or at 17 years old with the St. Louis Cardinals, spent 10 years with the Cardinals, then with the Yankees, the Reds. Um, he now he's a professional, so I'm gonna a lot of pressure on me. He's 17 years in a radio business. He's hosting a radio show. He also had a uh, TV show called Up Talk. Um, he had to stop it for a year because he got you know the coronavirus, and we're gonna talk about that because man, he was in the hospital. Um, it was a close call, but I think it's important we visit with him about that. Let's welcome right now our good friend, Lou Vickery. How you doing, Lou? Hi, Pete. Thank you. It's a delight to be with you, my friend. Yeah, I know. Uh, you know, the audience doesn't know our, our special uh, friends that uh, we've been trying to get on the show. First, uh, you know, the virus hit you, and now I almost had some uh, technical issues today. So, we, may, you know, almost didn't get you on. I don't know. I'm not <laughs> sure what's going on, but it's, I'm thrilled to have you on. I think it's going to be a great show. Tell us about, I mean, I'd be great, you know, you know, tell us about what happened with uh, with the coronavirus and everything. I know you spent some time in a hospital. Well, I, I, Pete, I, I've been playing, I play on the senior, um, uh, it's called the Super Senior uh, Grand Prix. Now, super doesn't mean you're good. It just means you're old and still able to play, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I had been uh, playing, uh, I had decided that I would not take any, um, any shots or anything till after I finished with the, the tournament last spring. Well, unfortunately, at the end of April, uh, at the tournament, uh, I played a, a match for three hours and two minutes. And wow. afterwards, I could hardly move. I just really wasn't feeling well. Well, that was on a Friday. Well, Tuesday, uh, I go have an examination and find out I have COVID. And um, Pete, from there, 
for the next uh, 22 days. Well, I didn't go to the hospital right away, but I, uh, I thought, well, maybe we can do something about it. So after four or five days, I wasn't feeling well. I went to the hospital, uh, 22 days, 33 pounds lost and uh, wow. double pneumonia. And, but you know, the, 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 the real key to that is that what happened the day they released me. And I think that's what I would like to leave with our audience. Sure. Is the fact that Pete, I, the doctor told me, he looked at me and he said, Mr. Vickery, I want to tell you something. Your tan legs help save your life. <laughs> and I knew exactly what he meant because yeah. being on that tennis court four or five days a week and staying active and uh, being uh, physically aware that you've just got to keep yourself in decent shape. It, uh, I, th I think health-wise, and also the fact that I do uh, about 15 supplements and vitamins a day, uh, I'm here to talk about it now. So I think that was a, that's the, been the blessing of it. It's, uh, and I tell people, you just got to stay active. You got to stay healthy. And, uh, and a great way to do that is being physically active. Well, I knew we had something in common because on the show many times, I've always told our audience, and even before, you know, the coronavirus hit, you know, that health is extremely important, you know, getting your sleep, taking your vitamins, um, exercising, you know, just trying to find a time to do something. I know we're all busy, um, but if you just spend 15, 20 minutes, even doing, you know, some act of walking that helps. So, you know, again, I, I think that's a great thing and, and thank God that you're here and everything went well. And, uh, hopefully things are going for all of us in a good direction. One thing I failed to mention folks I did on yesterday's show, and I want to mention again, I uh, just want to say special prayers to all our friends in Ukraine. Um, and also keep in mind, you know, special prayers to people in uh, in Russia, too, because they have family in Ukraine also. There's a lot of people in Russia that have family. So pray for all of them. Pray for the world. Hopefully things will get better. Um, and I did also, you know, uh, we're going to talk about your book because, you know, 16 books. I, I wrote one small book and uh, I was stressed out. So I don't know how you wrote 16 <laughs> books. Um, but it's amazing. But I, before we talk about the book, uh, Lou, you know, the, the, the thing I read was, you know, you were telling me about Mano Maris Richardson and Howard, you spent time in the clubhouse with them. Now, what, first of all, what year did you sign? And then how did this, uh, you know, how did you end up meeting these guys in the clubhouse? Well, okay. I signed originally out of high school, 17 years of age with the St. Louis Cardinals. I stayed in the Cardinal organization, Pete, for five years. And then uh, because of roster moves, uh, I was frozen on a, a AAA roster and the Yankees uh, drafted me off of that roster uh, in the winter of 1964. So wow. I became, I went to spring training in 65. The Yankees had lost to the Cardinals in the world series that year, 64. And so surprisingly, the manager of the Cardinals, Johnny King, became the manager of the Yankees. He moved to become the manager of the Yankees. Yogi, even though Yogi had won the pennant, they only kept him the one year, and uh, they felt like he might have been just a little too close to the players. For whatever reason, uh, he was replaced by Johnny Keene, his manager, so I went to the Yankees. And unfortunately, the second week there, uh, the season, I, I, I hurt my arm. I, I ended up with a partial, partially torn rotator cuff. And uh, – in those days, there was no surgery. You just waited it out. Well, let me tell you, Pete, I couldn't break a window pane before that. Then I could throw a ball against the pane and it bounced back and hit me. So, so it, and you were left-handed, right? Left-handed? Yeah, left-hander. 
but it was great being in the clubhouse with some of the greatest of all times, you know, and, um, and the Yankees, you, you think about it. I play with two of the best organizations in baseball, uh, the Cardinals Absolutely. and the Yankees. And then when I went uh, coach the year for Cincinnati in the uh, rookie league uh, for pitching coach, I uh, found myself um, really, you know, that baseball is a game that's it's very simple, but very complex. And I think the complexity of it is what happens behind the scenes, you know, the, the little things. And uh, the, the average fan somewhat misses that. So I did a book in 1975 called Answers to Baseball's Most Asked Questions. And, uh, hey, I noticed there's a copy on the Internet. Somebody's selling for a thousand something bucks. So, <laughs> wow. <laughs> it, it might, hey, it's out of print, so it must be popular. But at any rate, uh, I talk about the fact that baseball is a game that is played, um, you know, it, it's played as individuals. It's the only game that you play just as individuals. That's the reason why statistics always stand out, you know, yep. because each one guy stands on his own. But the one thing I tell you about pitching, I told I, when I got in the corporate world and, and uh, in the training part of the business, I always tell people, you know, in baseball, you know, the results instantly. I mean, once you make that pitch, baby, <laughs> you're either you're going to know right away, right? Well, yeah. it's not always that way in the business world because you, you don't see the results instantly like you do in most cases as, as you did in baseball. Well, I'm just bouncing off the wall, but that's uh, some of the thoughts I have. You know, your book uh, called Winning the Head Game, we're going to get into that. And one of the things I wanted to ask you was, you know, when you talk about Man Maris and some of these you know, big time players, um, what did you, you know, what did you see from them, you know, mentally, what, what made them strong? What made them successful? I, obviously they were skilled, you know, they had a lot of skills, vision, balance, and a lot of things that you need in the game, but what else did you see from the mental perspective? Yeah, I, Let me share a story with you. I shared this. I have a, a, a book out, unfortunately, because I say, unfortunately, it's a plus, but unfortunately I have four books out at the same time. <laughs> I have four of them. And, and that was, that's because of COVID all backed up. But the one that was released the first of the year is really for, it's a general book. It's called Reach Beyond and Find Your Path to Success. And I, mm -hmm. in this book, I, I tell about 40 plus stories of individuals who have overcome hurdles, who have had uh, difficulties. And by the way, that book is available anywhere, any bookstore, uh, online, and even at lubickrybooks.com. But the reason I mentioned this book is because in there, I tell the story about Mickey Mantle. Mantle, he just, his booth for dressing was right across from mine. And every day at that age, he was up in the upper thirties. He would, Pete would take a wrap and start hit his ankle and he'd wrap his legs all the way up to his thighs with wraps. Wow. So he could go out and play baseball. And uh, you don't see, you know, this day and age, I get a little twitch and I, I, I should be careful when I say this, you get a little twitch and guess what? You're going to disable this, you know, yeah. we didn't know about a disable list in our day. You know, you go, you went ahead and played to it, but there's so much money invested in guys this day and age. So that's, I understand the reasoning why. Yeah. You know, we've had Denny McLean on the show and, you know, he was talking about, you know, the number of innings, you know, that they pitch. I mean, they, Pretty much, you you know, if you were a starter there, you know, you were you were thinking, I'm going to finish the game. You never thought five innings, six innings, yeah. seven innings. Well, I tell you, I, I, I still probably hold a record, Pete. I gave up the most hits and ever in a game and still won. And that was because 
my first full year, the manager handed me the ball, and he says, don't look for the bullpen. There's nobody available. <laughs> Some of the guys had already been shipped to other teams, you know, to, to help them in pennant races. I gave up 18 hits, nine runs, and it cost me the earned run title for the league. But I gave up 18 hits and won 21 to nine. <laughs> so wow. you, you never know, you know, but that's not the way it is today. It's, it's certainly a different game. Yeah, you know, I've spent some time in independent ball and Ron Kittle, a friend of mine, you know, with the White Sox, he he was managing. And I remember, you know, one time he got upset at one of the pitchers, you know, because he didn't think he was tough enough. Right. He walked out to the mound. He told him, he said, hey, there's no bullpen. There's nobody. This is yours. Yeah. You either finish it or we just stay here all day. Well, he, you know, the kid finished it. He got it done. But it's interesting. You know, and, and what I want to ask you is. You know, you wrote the book, you know, The Head Game, and obviously you've dealt with a lot of corporate people. You give a lot of speeches. Um, you've helped a lot of people, you know, from that perspective. What did you learn when you played? What did you take from that and put into the book now? Is there anything that you learned back then from me, whether it be from Mano or Maris or any of these people or just yourself from going through all these tough times? Well, I tell you, the, the, the biggest difference in between being, let's say that, uh, let's take them just a, a college kid. A college kid has a talent as well as any pro. I mean, there, there are tons of people with great talent. Where the difference comes, Pete, is in the ability to develop the six inches above your shoulder in a way where you have the proper attitude, the proper psychological makeup. See, I'm a great believer that if you treat every play the same, and I try to do this in tennis, that one, no one becomes more important than the next. So why should we say we got pressure situations? We don't have every, – every play is a pressure situation, if you think about it, because the first point counts just as much as the last point. First run counts just as well as the last, the last run does. So it, it, it becomes, I think, a game where that what happens is that you, the higher you go in any profession, whether it doesn't have to be, it can be athletics, business, you're going to find the difference is what rests on a person's shoulder. Mm. Lou, where does it start? Pardon me? Where does it start? I mean, when we're talking about, you know, training. Oh, it, start, it starts young. It, it does. It starts young. I, I think the one thing that I, I see, I'm not a real fan, Pete, of travel ball. And mm. the reason why I'm not a big fan of it, Dr. Bob Wild and I, a friend of yours also, Bob, yep. Bob and I feel the same way about this. I think it puts too much pressure on kids. I just talking about the lack of pressure, but you constantly, you're trying to, to develop something that you're not quite uh, capable of doing, not physically, not mentally, you know, to, to try to, Oh, I want to be a big league ball player. Well, the problem is so many of them burn out to give up because it didn't quite measure up. And I think parents have a lot to do with that, quite frankly. You know, back then when you played, let, you know, this, that's a great point because, you know, I was always, you know, we've talked about it many times in a show and I know with Dr. Wilder I've talked about it, you know, younger kids, you know, it'd be great if they just played two, three different sports when they're young, maybe, you know, when you become 14, when you get close to high school, maybe you could you play on a travel team because now it becomes a little bit more competitive. What did you guys do? Did you guys just play baseball back then or were there other things that helped you become what, you know, athletically become better? We played, now you, you, you got to get ready for this one. We played. We played baseball in, in, a, in, a, in a field. I mean, like a, a, you know, a, a field where we'd plant crops. You know, we'd use a, cow, a hard cat pod for base. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so 
and and we had in our little hometown that we had uh, myself, my brother, my first cousin, my now brother-in-law. We had kids to play pro baseball from a very small town. And I think a lot of that was because that's what we did. We played ball. We were very competitive. And, uh, but you know what? We didn't have parents around telling us what to do and, you know, do this, do that, do the other. And I think uh, that's, that's uh, been the difference between then and now. And as you know, Pete, right now we're looking at almost 40% of the major league players are Hispanic kids. They mm-hmm. play the year-round baseball, you know? It's, it's a year-round thing for them. But uh, but they play – they don't have the, the AAU league teams and the travel teams. They just go play baseball. And if they don't want to play, they don't play. Yep. So it's uh, – I think there's a, been a different mentality to approach the game of baseball in recent years. Yeah, I can't agree with you more. And, you know, as I travel around the world, I'm looking at – you know, when you're talking about Latin America, Cuba, Venezuela, Dominican, I mean, you know, now – they, they're playing on fields that you were playing on. They're still, oh, playing, yeah. on, they're still playing on those fields. And they don't worry about what size is the bat, how heavy or light is the bat, or, you know, what the glove looks like or the ball. You know, they, they don't have much equipment. So I guess the, their adversity really helps them, you know, develop the skills. And here's an interesting part. We've talked to this on the show, Lou. Um, I think people fail to remember this. You know, they look at the Dominican, they look at Cuba and, and look at, um, you know, Venezuela, a lot of countries, you know, they say, oh, they play a lot of games. They sure do. But let me tell you, the statistics are they practice twice as much as they play, no matter what. That's and that, right. That's the key right there. You know, uh, there's an old saying, perfect practice makes perfect. Yes. You know, and, and you got to, that's such a vital part of it. You got to learn the, the, the um, rudiments of the game. You got to be able to, to develop your skills. You got tactics and methods that uh, people employ. You got to work at those things. I tell you what, I I can't tell you how many times I've covered first base in practice. <laughs> I know ground ball to the first baseman, get over there, victory, get over there, victory. You can hear the coach holler now. You know, go cover first. Well, if those kind of plays make a difference in a ball game, and so you you just got to work at uh, what it takes to to be good. Lou, how did you guys in, in either during the season or even I know you had spring training and then the season started during the season. I mean, you know, and I'm, I'm referring this to younger players. I know major league players maintain their skill levels a, a little better because they're older. Um, but did you guys work on fundamentals throughout the season? In the lower minds, you did, Pete. Yes. And when you first couple years now, I was fortunate enough that I, I stayed in the lower minors only two years and I was promoted. I got a chance. I was in Atlanta uh, playing with the, that was before the Braves got there. It was a triple A team and uh, I was there at 19 years of age. So, uh, but the lower minors do, they work out in the morning. You come out, you work out on, just mostly with home games because you'd work out in the morning and then you would uh, spend the afternoon I mean, the evening, you know, playing. So that was quite, quite common. Yeah. And that's what I think, uh, you know, if you're, unfortunately it is what it is. If you're going to have travel teams nowadays, um, you know, they're out there. You can't change it. You can't, they're not going to go backwards. It's a big time business, but if you're going to do that, you know, at least practice with the kids because you got in the summer, you got the mornings, you know, they can take ground balls. They don't necessarily have to throw all the time. They can take ground balls. They can hit, they can do things, but it seems like all we want to do is just play games now. Yeah, that's it. Let's just go play the game, right? Let's don't worry about the practice part. Yeah, and I think people forget, Lou, you know, when we're talking about if we don't work 
on our fundamentals. Now our body gets out of sync. That's when injuries occur because now in a game, you're throwing the ball incorrectly um, and that can hurt somebody, whether you're a pitcher or a position player. I have a, a saying, Pete, that, that states that when you physically get tired, it takes your attitude and your desire with it. Wow. Okay. Because if you're not, if you're not physically ready to compete from the start of a game to the end of the game, then what happens somewhere along that, you're going to just say, hey, you know what? I'll, uh, I'll, I'll take it a little easy on this play. The next thing you know, you booted one or something has happened that has caused a, a problem. Your team is, and it hurts your team. So I, I'm a great believer that uh, getting yourself physically ready to play is such a vital part of it. Yeah, so what you're talking about is you're talking about the body and the mind. They got to be an equal path, right? They both got to be strong. That's exactly right. You got to you officially get ready, but you, the mental part of it is going to be what sets what's going to set you apart from the guy that's right next to you. You can count on that. It's a, it's going to be what happens in uh, in the six inches above your shoulder, and uh, I, I keep referring to that, but that's. Uh, that's such a vital part of, of being successful in, in anything, really, but particularly in, in athletics. Yeah, and particularly baseball, right? Because, I mean, I, I, I know sometimes it sounds negative, but, you know, it is a sport where you're going to fail more times than you would at other sports. Um, so what do you, what's your recommendation with, uh, you know, coaches working with young players? How do, we, how do we begin to work on the mental game? What are some of the key factors to you know, make sure that they're doing, they're saying the right thing, and they're helping them with dealing with the failure of the game. Well, I think the the, the one thing that really stands out is that you is fundamentals, preparation. You know, I have a statement that says that um, if uh, the will to win is important, but the will to prepare to win is even more important because you don't have that if you put, you go out and you, you preparation. So I, I, I emphasize that, you know, baseball is a game. It can be very dull. Even practices can be dull. Ah, right, let's go take some batting practice. So everybody goes out and flags, you know, goes out and uh, shags fly balls, right? Nah. Well, well, we need to be hitting balls to the infielders. We need to be having guys working on base running. I mean, there's so many things. And I, I go to a, out and watch a little league practice or something, and I see that, you know, Kid go, no wonder kids get uh, tired and bored. They, this, they, they're accustomed this day and age to uh, doing a heck of a lot more than what they do, you know, at a baseball practice. So I think at uh, the activity level and the preparation is the key. Because if you physically and mentally prepare, you, you, what you're going to run into is you're going to have the opportunity then to be able to compete and compete well. But if you don't, if you hey, let's just go play, then I think you lose some of the, the aspect of the of both physical and mentally, quite frankly. Uh, and all this training, you know, from the mental standpoint, begins in practice then, because it sounds like if you're organizing practice, they're having fun, you know, you're dealing with the mental part of the game in practice, the game will take care of itself? Yes, it will. Because if you do the right things in practice, I think Vince Lombardi always stated that. If you do the right kind of things in practice, then it has carryover value. I mean, what, what makes it different in the game, right? You're going to have a little more excitement, a little more intensity. Adrenaline's going to be flowing a little, maybe a little bit more in a, in a game. But the fact of the matter is, Pete, that you're going, to, you, you're going to be prepared to go do it and do it well. 
And uh, so I think that's uh, that's the one thing that I, I would like to see uh, more of is just uh, the intensity level at, at uh, in practice and what make it as close to a game as you possibly can. You know, when, let's say you're in practice, use this scenario, you're in practice and, you know, a young kid struggling, whether it be in batting practice or whether it be taking ground balls, whatever it may be, maybe missed a bunch of ground balls, having trouble. What, what, what's that coach's response? How does that coach respond to that player when he sees that they're, they're struggling and right away, you know, the mental part takes over. Now they're going to have even a harder time, you know, with the next ground ball or the next pitch. Well, that's a good question. You know, I'm a great believer in encouragement. Ken, talking about the positive things that we can do to make better. I mean, the easiest thing, let me see, you know what the easiest thing in the world to do is to quit. Takes no talent to be, excuse me, I'm getting all excited here, Pete. Get, get, it takes no talent to quit. And I talk, we talk about that in the book, you know, just to say, well, I'll give up. Well, that doesn't take any talent. To, but what it does, it takes talent. When you get to that stage, when you want to quit, is to pay that little extra. Coach Nick Saban at the University of Alabama has one of my quotes on the desk for his coaches. Wow. And it, it, it's a very simple quote. It says that, do all that is expected of you and then a little bit more. And, and that's the key. It's just doing that little bit more that's going to make you just a little bit better. Because if you take everything as equal, then it's going to be the individual that's going to do just a little bit more. That's going to be the one that's going to be the, the real come. The one that's going to start the game and the one that's going to have the opportunity. Absolutely. Love it. And we're going to talk a little bit about Nick Saban. Um, you're in a, you're, you are in Alabama. So uh, listen, folks, we're talking to Lou Vickery. He signed at the age of 17, played 10 years with the St. Louis Cardinals, a big league player. Um, he's, he's been working with, you know, top executives around the U.S., you know, on, on uh, the mental part of not business, baseball. You know, he's authored 16 books, which is incredible. Um, and we're talking about his one book. And, you know, Lou, the, uh, when you played, weren't the managers real tough? I mean, wasn't it basically they just told you to do it and, you know, and get it done? Or how, how was it compared to what it is now? No, it, it, it's just so, it's totally different now. I mean, you know, really, when, when I was playing, we only had a manager. Maybe we were lucky to have a coach, one coach. Yeah. Well, now, you know, they got coaches for everybody, right? It's almost as many coaches as they got players. Well, so that makes a difference. But I think the matter, uh, what what is different now is the kids, because there's so many other things they can get involved in, is getting them motivated to, you know, want to get out and do the things that's necessary to be successful. And I think that's Pete, the reason we see so many Hispanic kids. You know, I wish we had more of the African-American kids playing baseball. If they mm-hmm. did, it would be a prime opportunity for them because the market is wide open for good athletes. Yep. And, the, and you they know, are great athletes. Pete, something came to mind. I want to share it with you. Uh, my co-author on this book, uh, Winning the Head Game, Key to Elite Athletic Status, is Coach Sonny Smith. He was Charles Barkley's college coach, and uh, he's in uh, about eight Hall of Fames. But, but Sonny, is, is, uh, his whole theory about it is that you – the psychological aspects of it are what separates some from the other. And mm-hmm. that is that you just, the, the mindset, getting yourself geared up, staying uh, active and being focused. We lose focus. Focus is the thing that makes, I have a statement. I I'm, I'm great on one-liners now, so bear with me. Okay. Oh, go for I, it. Hey, it, but focus to me is that wherever your focus is, that's where your heart is. 
So mm -hmm. if you're out on the field and your thought process is somewhere else, you're not totally focused on it. Your heart's not in it, but your heart's got to be in it. And the way to do that is you got to concentrate. You got to focus on what to do. And I've heard him uh, talk about the fact, ah, oh, man, I saw a hard at my players. You got to focus some, come on, concentrate, you know, and that's, that's, that's a lot of truth to that. You know what? I'm glad you brought that up and I'll tell you why, because, um, you know, I've, I've heard that a lot. I say, you know, concentrate, focus. The problem is with young players, young kids, I mean, you know, the mind's still developing. What does that really mean? And as a coach, how do I get them to do that? Yeah, um, that's a, a, hey, that's a good question. And I'm not sure you really can with the real young ones. I think when you reach the stage of, of uh, teenage years and they start to make a turn, either I'm going to be a ball player, or I'm not going to play, I'm, you know, I don't mm -hmm. want to play, I'd like to play. I think that's when you really foam in. So on, uh, uh, that you, 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 you put your emphasis on less learn how to focus and concentrate on what we're doing guys because that's what's going to make the difference as we go through preparation and get ready to play you know Lou earlier you were talking about you were pitching and you know you there was no relief pitching left and you you know gave up all these hits um you still won the game but during that time that you gave up all these hits what I what I wanted to ask you was how did you deal with that um you know it's easy to give up I mean you could have been out there all day I mean the games could have still been going on <laughs> um, right? It almost was. You know? <laughs> but how did you deal from the mental, you know, from the mental point? You know, you're pitching against professional guys. Um, how did you deal with that? Well, you know, the, the one thing that uh, you, you you understand is that you, there are going to be days when you don't have your good stuff. You know, mm -hmm. it, you're going to go out. I, I was a great fan of my, of, uh, of Greg Maddox. Greg Maddox yeah. was a, a guy, a pitcher, you know, with the Cubs and then with the Braves that did not have uh, what I would call super stuff. I mean, he wasn't overpowering, but boy, his mental preparation for the game, it, I can hear him say it now. I have three inches on the inside and three inches on the outside of the plate and the hitters got the other 13. So, you know, that's, uh, and, and that's, that's true. And so you learn how to, uh, to pitch at those various points. I will say one thing for a left-hander. I wasn't real wild. I, I was good at hitting bats. I always told everybody, ask me what my best pitch was, Pete. I said, the atom ball. It's the atom ball. I said, yeah, I pitch it and hope it hit the, <laughs> they hit it at them. So uh, that's about the way I, I, I didn't, I didn't strike out many. I didn't walk many, but uh, I, they call that a contact pitcher. And I think that we need more contact pitchers today, to tell you the truth. Yeah, and uh, if you got a good defense behind you, it'll work, right? I mean, well, you got to leave. Hey, they're out there; they're getting paid. You might as well use yeah. them, right? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and I think you're right. I think we don't see enough of that. Um, what is, I know you've been asked this, I'm sure, a thousand times, but it, it's always it's an interesting question. Out of everybody that you faced um, at the big league level, who gave you the you know the toughest time as a hitter? I, I'm sorry, I did not hear the end of the question, Pete. Who, who gave you the toughest time as a hitter? Well, it, I did not have a lot of trouble with the big hitters, surprisingly. But mm -hmm. I, I did with some of what we call punching duties. That way, you know, because I, I didn't throw super hard through a lot of breaking stuff, and uh, I didn't get – if you were going to hit a home run off of me, you had to supply the power. I wasn't going to supply it. You know? 
also. But that, that was generally, I do remember one situation on the first time I, I faced uh, Mickey Mantle was in a spring training. I mean, uh, um, Hank here in a spring training game and the catcher came out and said, well, lefty, what you going to throw him? And I said, well, let's hit him with a slider on his fist. He looked down at, I think Ken Borey was playing third base and Borey, you better back up. And I threw that slider on, on his fist and he had a BB. It didn't get high enough to get over the fence, but it hit the left field fence and bounced all the way back to third base. So that tells you how hard it was hit. So, <laughs> so that's a, you know, welcome to the club type thing. Hey, you're going to love this one. My good friend, Randall Arms, um, he's in Mexico. He does a lot of work in Mexico. He says in basic, you see, he, he wanted to know, um, how old are you, Lou? How old am I? Yeah. Yeah, I'm 80. 80. Okay. So that's what he said here. I, I didn't want to say it unless you said it. Um, and he said, you, he goes, you look younger than he does. And he's 60. He wants a little <laughs> Well, they, what Hey, that's a testament for taking care of yourself. Right. <laughs> that's what we, and, and Randall, that's what we talked about at the beginning of the show. Right. Lou. I mean, if you take care of yourself, you, you exercise every day, you play tennis, you take vitamins, you do a lot of great stuff to take care of yourself. Well, and that, and it shows. Pete, I want, I want our friend in Mexico to know I'm actually 41. Yeah, I've had I'm 39 with 41 anniversaries. Okay, there you go. <laughs> hey, Lou, another thing about when you pitched um, recovery, you know, big difference now. You know, pitchers need time to recover and so forth. What did you guys do to recover to come back to pitch again? Well, you know, the the you have a, a routine that you really follow in, in between starts. Now, understand, I was a starter for my first years. And, uh, hey, I won 29 games in the first two years, so I had some success. Absolutely. But then uh, I became a relief pitcher. I, I, I went to the bullpen, and that's where my forte, my best season was 1964. That was a minor league season when I had been uh, – the Cardinals had sent me out, and I, I had a, a great season. They couldn't call me back because my options in those days, the options, you had three options that you got to use. And once you use your third option, the big league club couldn't bring you back unless they offered you to someone else. So, You know, interesting. I got to ask you this. And uh, I know, you know, I'm sure you'll, you you got to think about how to answer this question because, you know, back then, you know, you could tell the audience what you signed for, but I'm looking at major league baseball now you know, they just raised, I believe, the minimum salary from five hundred fifty thousand to seven hundred and some thousand. Um, you know, that's pretty good, pretty good salary for your first year. Um, what do you, what do you think about what's going on with the strike? And you know, if they're going to settle, and you know, maybe some of the compared to when you played, because I think when you played, you had to have a job also, right? That's exactly right. You yeah. Now, fortunately, I got some bonus money to sign, so I was able. I went to school in the off season, so I didn't exactly work, but uh, I had promised my mom if I signed out of high school, I was going to get a college education. And I did, Pete. I was 28 when I finished. So, but I, but I hung with it. But the fact of the matter is that today, the kind of money that you have, you know, the average salary is $14.7 million. And here we are talking about striking. Now, I'm not blaming this all on the players because I think the owners, uh, the last four years, salaries have actually gone down, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they the Major League Baseball showed a profit of about ten billion dollars this year. So uh, the owners, uh, the players want to share in that. But I, I'm just not so sure that uh, that baseball it will survive a strike like it did in '93. Now let me 
93, if you remember, we followed that up. Well, 94 it was, but we followed that up with the steroid era. Yep. And if we had not had the steroid era with uh, Sammy Sosa there with the Cubs and um, uh, Mark McGuire, uh, Bobby, uh, I mean, I started to say Bobby Bonds, but Barry Bonds, I played against his dad, Bobby. And then, um, and then uh, Roger Clemens and guys like that who are not going to be put in the Hall of Fame, but yet they saved baseball. They, the steroid era saved baseball because all yep. the home runs and they, they, the game was uh, exciting to, to attend. But uh, we're, not, we're not at that stage now. And I think if you run, uh, if you go, baseball stays out long, it's lockout. I'm not so sure it's going to recover. And that's the unfortunate part. I think we'll still have kids playing, but to, to play it at the level they're playing at now with the kind of money they got, I have some question marks about that, Pete. That's interesting. I haven't heard that lately. And uh, you know what? you got a great point because what's going to save baseball? If they don't get this done pretty soon here and it, and it drags on and half the season all of a sudden has gone, um, and God forbid the whole season's gone, you know, what is going to save baseball? That's a great question. And, um, I, you know, the other thing, Lou, you know, when you're talking about the game, I think it'd be interesting to get your perspective on this. And folks, uh, I mentioned the salaries. I'm all in favor of, look, if you're, you know, a top player, whether it be, you know, Scherzer or anybody else, and you're producing at a high level, I'm all for the money because, you know, you, you, you see actors, you know, they get a lot of money for a movie. I mean, it is an entertainment business, but I also think you ought to be paid a little bit on production and, 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 you know, like tennis players, you know, a tennis player only gets paid when they win I mean, they don't get paid when they lose. I mean, they may get sponsors money, but they, you know, it seems like we're just giving money, even though you, you even when you don't have a good season. Right. You know, that's a great point. And, and Pete, as I look at it as a, uh, from a, from perspective of a, a player, I'm, you're right. I'm for player making all the money they can make. If it's out there, they should make it if they're performing. I do have a little bit problem with seven, eight, nine year contracts. Mm. A lot of things can happen right. in productivity. And we've seen that particularly with pitchers, some pitchers that got long-term contracts. Hey, how about Bobby Bonilla over with the Mets? Still huh? getting a million. Still gets a million a year. What, to 2025? He's been doing it for the last time. Hey, he hasn't got to pick up anything. You know? <laughs> I hope he's taking care of himself, but – he gets paid that million every year, same time. I think what was like a 20, 20 year deal. Well, yep. and and so I don't fault the players. I don't fault them at all. I think it, if it's there, you get it. But I do fault the fact that we cannot get together and work out a solution, and uh, and and really hurt the game. And that's what what's going on right now, in my estimation. You know, Lewis, I go back to your book, um, winning the head game. You know, the key to elite athletic success and status um you know i'm thinking i look at teams nowadays you i mean all the books you wrote you've been way ahead of your time in a lot of ways because every major league team minor league team every system has a sports you know uh psychologist psychiatrist somebody working on the mental part of the game that is one of the strongest parts of the game right now um what's your thoughts on that because you know i think the teams are understanding how important that is yeah, I, I think it's just like, uh, you know, in a profession I had after I, I left the stockbroker's business, I spent 30 years traveling around the country speaking and uh, and speaking to some pretty sizable groups at times. But my, my comments were always the same. 
guys and gals, there are certain things that you've got to do that are going to make us successful. And uh, I, I have a little bit of quote. I, I'm going to share this with you because I share it with everyone. And I'm, I usually close my, I close my show with it. You yeah. got to keep a, a smile on your face. You keep optimism on your tongue and happiness in your heart. You know what? If you did that with anything you did and applied that rule, you know what? You'd be ahead of the game. You just, uh, I always tell everybody, it's a good thing, Pete, that light is faster than sound. Because we can see somebody before we hear them, you know what? <laughs> so you just never know. Well, I'll tell you what, you need to be talking to more people because it's amazing. We were almost an hour we've been talking and you've had that smile on, you know, on your face the whole time. You've been positive the whole time. I mean, there's no negative stuff coming out of you. And, and by the way, being a stockbroker, um, being in the brokerage business, there's a little pressure there too. Absolutely. And, and, and the reason I left the business is that it was too confining for me. Sit behind a desk with a phone in each ear, you know, and you try <laughs> to negotiate deals. It, it wasn't uh, the nature. It was just the, the fact, the nature of the business, uh, too confining. And I was the kind of guy that needed to, to be. I did find out one thing working for Merrill Lynch that I did pretty good on my feet. I could tell some of those cornball stories of mine and people laughed. And so that's the reason why I turned around and got in that business. Pete, let me share this with you. If, if the, the winning the head game, the key to elite athletic status, uh, as we said, it's, you can find it at Amazon. But if people would like an autographed copy, if someone like an autographed copy, uh, they can do that at louvicrybooks.com. And that's L-O-U-V-I-C-K-E-R-Y books.com. Okay. And we'd love to... Uh, to send them an autographed copy, and it it, it does it. We have a we we have a, a the price is nineteen ninety five, and that includes shipping and handling. So it's just a one cost factor. Awesome, and, and folks, just so you know, this is going to be all over our social media. It's going to be all over the show notes. So we'll have all the information there. I want to thank ESPN Honolulu also for covering the show. So it'll be on you know listed there. There are going to be a lot of people that are going to see. Hopefully, you get the book. You know. We were talking about laughing, you know, smiling, having a good time. And, you know, I've talked about this on the show and I know everybody's different, but, you know, I, I do a lot of international work and I've been with national teams at the highest levels um, in their clubhouses. So I've been in Cuba's clubhouse, you know, I've been in the U.S. clubhouse, you know, and sometimes the difference is, you know, some clubhouses, everything's so serious, you know, everybody's getting prepared and ready, you know, another clubhouse, they're a lot more loose having a good time, relaxing. I mean, because you know, possibly they prepared already. I mean, they've been prepared, right? They don't have to worry about yeah. you know being quiet all the time. I gotta believe when you're talking about the head game, Lou, that having a sense of humor as a coach, as a manager, that has to help your players tremendously. Whether it's prior to a game or during a game, you gotta have that sense of humor, don't you? Absolutely, and I, we have that in the book. We're, we're great believer that uh, if you don't have fun at it, don't do it. If you cannot have fun at it, if you get too serious about it, don't do it. I mean, it's just not going to be, it's not going to be something that you're going to, to want to do long-term because you got to have, say, I call it humor aerobics. You got to have some humor aerobics. You know what I mean? You're nothing like a good laugh. And uh, I tell myself every day, Pete, I want to have one, pardon my expression, one good belly laugh. I want to just have something I can really life about and uh, feel comfortable with and and i'm not sure i always do it but i sure make a point of, of uh, attempting to and i think that's important 
And I'm glad you, you mentioned that. Yeah, and did you have managers who came out, you know, and maybe you were having a tough time. They said something. You expect them to say something about the next batter or whatever, but yet they said something maybe funny or just something that you kind of, you know, keep you loose. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I had uh, – we. I was uh, – I think I walked the base. I told you I didn't walk many guys. I once walked the bases loaded, and the manager came out, and he says, Vickery, look over there on the bench. You see all those old-timers over there? That beer's <laughs> getting hot in the clubhouse, so throw a strike and get them out. <laughs> That's great. I love that. And again, you know, we laugh about it, but I think we're, we're forgetting that that sense of humor is important. You know, I mean, sometimes, you know, I know practice, you got to be, you know, you got to be tough at times and you got to make sure young players understand discipline, but there, there's that balance between discipline and getting them to relax. Cause sometimes we need to be too disciplined and now I'm really scared, you know, to do, to yeah, make a sure. mistake. Well, there's a thin line in, in almost anything you do, as you well know. You know, but if you do too much, you might do too little. But it's finding what the niche is where people can in, go out, do the job, have fun doing it, enjoy themselves. You know, the, 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 I, I'm, I'm still a great believer in winning. I think you play to win. You don't just go to play the game. You go play to win. But if you don't and if you, hey, you walk away, you know, you always want to feel like you didn't lose a the game. They won it. You understand? Yeah, that's the difference. They won it. They beat us, but we didn't lose it. So, you know, that's uh, I think the approach that, that I think more and more teams need to take. You know, you mentioned that uh, I remember the great Gordy Gillespie, college baseball coach, one of the all time winningest college coaches in the country. Um, you know, great friend passed away. Uh, one of the comments he always said was, you know, we didn't lose the game. We ran out of innings. Ran out of time, right? Yeah, time. It was football, actually. I misquoted that. He was also a football, a successful football yeah. coach. It ran out of time. I mean, I guess that's the positive way of thinking of it, right? That's exactly right. And I think that's the approach. You know, you, you, one of the automotive companies, Pete, spent over a million dollars trying to find out the secret. This was years ago, secret to selling automobiles. What was the number one thing? And it, you know what came back? Your attitude. And that's the way it is in anything. Yeah. If you bring the right attitude to it, the proper mental set. And that's the reason why we did this book uh, on uh, winning a head game, because we just think it's so vitally important for. And uh, it's not only for just for young athletes, coaches. I mean, there's some stuff in there for coaches, too, particularly what Sonny has written about coaching. Yeah, and the head game is for everybody, right? I mean, I That's know I correct. just in daily life, I'm struggling all the time. I'm telling you, we we've had business people tell us hey, this that all we had to do was just change where it said sports to business and it covers the same. The principles are the same. You know, it's uh, it all comes down to how you approach it, how you prepare for it, and what you do when you get between the lines. And a lot of it, Lou, has to do with consistency. I mean, you've got to be consistent at what you do daily when it comes to the metal game. That's that's just that, now. That's another one of Coach Smith's favorite lines: is talking about consistency. He, and his is very simple: consistent, consistent, consistent. And that's it. He just keeps preaching: consistent, guys. We do it the right way over and over. And if you do that, then I think consistency. You know. You could just take a, about a handful of words, and if you applied those and did the things that uh, what they really mean, hey, you walk around with your head up. And Mick, I want to mention something, Pete. I just, hey, every time I come up, I am also, 
a great believer that you keep your chin up, you keep your head up. If you ever drop your head, guess what happens? You cannot think negatively unless you close your eyes or, or look to the ground. You know that? Mm-hmm. You can't. When you're picking up things, your head's up, your face is uh, forward, you're, you're observing what's going on around you. Then basically what you got is you're going to be positive. It only becomes negative when you drop your head and you, you know, your chin goes down because when your chin goes down, so does your fortune. Great so point. you keep that chin up. It's very simple technique. I, I like to say it this way, and I'd leave this for any coach. Let me see your eyes. I want to mm-hmm. see your eyes. You know, I remember I, I, I coached. I coached high school football one year. Just uh, I, I, I graduated from college right at the right time. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And so I tried and I did and enjoyed it. And uh, we were down 19 to nothing at halftime. And the kids came in and I said, All right, let's see the eyes now. Let's see your eyes. And I look at it. We went out and ran a kickoff back and scored 30 points and won the game. But I just never, never forget the fact that uh, the way those kids reacted that they slowly one at a time. You could just see them, you know, raise the eyebrows a little bit, get that head up, chin up. And if you well, do that, you got, you've got a chance to have good fortune. What a great coaching point. Um, I love it. And, and Lou, we are close to the end, but I, I want to ask you this. Um, as we talk here, you mentioned Sonny Smith, Lou Saban. You've known and, and played for some great managers. Um, and, you know, it sounds like from the mental game, if, as a coach, if, if you understand a mental game real well, you pretty much coach any sport. You just got to learn a little bit about the fundamentals, but it sounds like the mental game is more important. And I bring that up because my mentor, Dick Birmingham from Springfield, Missouri, also passed away. Um, very similar to you. I mean, very positive, you know, always kept things, you know, in, in, in the right perspective, worked hard on the positive game. He knew the game, but his strength wasn't necessarily the fundamentals or, or practice organization as it was getting you to play 100%. That's correct. Getting getting out and making the effort to from start to finish too, Pete. Mm. From start to finish, that you got to be, prepare yourself to go from start to finish. But you just don't let yourself. Hey, you're going to have a bad play now and then. And what happens after that? It, that? That one's over with. Now it becomes a question: What happens next? Right. That's the question. So are you prepared to play the right way with the next time? And I, you know, I think about defensive backs, cornerbacks and, and pros and college football. I mean, it's not a tougher job for when it comes to that kind of thing. You know, you're going to kind of you occasionally miss one, but you, you, Hey, how do you bounce back? But, you know, I was thinking when you say football or other sports, the difference is in, in baseball, you really got to work at it more because the game is so slow every inning, every pitch, the ball's not coming to you. You got to stay focused in the game. You know, football, there's action all the time. You're running all the time. I mean, there's something That's happening. right. Yeah, you may have it while you're in the huddle, but once that action starts, it's there, isn't it? In baseball, yep. you're right. Remember we talked about it being, it's a, it's a team game played by individuals. Yeah. So, they, hey, they, they're out there. You've, and that's the reason why I think one of the things that you you see in baseball today is that you see the defense particular among infielders probably make more errors. And the reason why I think that happens because pitchers throw so many pitches. Mm-hmm. You're going three, two, three, two, three, two. You get on your heels. And, uh, hey, guys, they love guys like me. They're going to, you know, throw 85, 90 pitches a game and get ground balls and get them out. That's uh, That was my – That was my, I told you my favorite pitch was the atom ball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, that's one way. That's one way to speed up the game. You know, get your pitchers, get the ball and throw it. You know, let's let's stop messing around thinking about, you know, 40 things before you throw a pitch. Get it and throw it. Get it and throw it. I think that's one of the best. You know, that that would really speed up the game. Amen. They got to speed it up too, Pete. If they don't speed it up, you know, we know we're going to lose all the youngsters. They're not going to, they don't, it's just not their cup of tea. Hey Lou, would you say finally the separator? I mean, we're talking about great coaches, you know, good coaches to mediocre coaches, the separators, the mental game. Yeah, it's it. Exactly. And I think uh, Pete, when you stop to think about it, that uh, you go back in the people that have been, you've seen to be successful. They always were encouragers. They were talking about what we can do, not what we can't do. You know, and I, and I think that the, the one thing I'd leave you with, the only thing that ever should come from losing is the feeling you don't like it. Mm. So then you go out and you do something about it, okay? And I, and I think that's uh, what you do as a good coach, as a good player, as a good parent, as a good friend you encourage people to do better. You, and it, hey, if you got a suggestion on how they can do it, you know, offer it to them. But uh, that's that to me is the secret and the key. Awesome. Well, let me tell you, Lou, I could go four hours with you. Uh, this is exciting, man. It's been a great show. I love the way you're positive. Um, I got to have you back because I want to ask you questions about what you think about the rule changes that are going on in a game of baseball. That's going to be like a five-hour show. <laughs> Well, I probably got an opinion about it, Pete. Pete, thank yeah. you. It's been a delight being with you. No, it's been my pleasure, Lou. And folks, Lou Vickery, check it out, Winning the Head Game. Um, it's on Amazon. It's also on LouVickeryBooks.com. I'll have it all on the show notes. Um, this has been a fantastic show. 16 books that Lou has published. Along he, uh, The book he has right now is uh, published along with Coach Sonny Smith, Hall of Fame basketball coach. Lou, again, thanks, man. Uh, it's been a pleasure. It's been an exciting show, positive. I got it. Now it's got me more energized more than anything. Hey, all right. Thank you, Pete. All right, folks. Thank you, Lou Vickery. Thank you, Brian Crocker, producer with the Line of Media Group. Thanks, everybody in the U.S. and around the world. Don't forget, check us out on the next show, Baseball Outside the Box. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you on the next show. This has been Baseball Outside the Box with Peter Caliendo. Listen online at BaseballOutsideTheBox.com and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and all major podcast outlets. Join the conversation on Facebook and Twitter. Get all of our podcasts now at LineUpMedia.fm. This podcast was a presentation of LineUpMedia.fm.